Book One, Chapter Fourteen of The Crossing by Winston Churchill. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Fourteen: How the Kaskaskians Were Made Citizens. Never before had such a day dawned upon Kaskaskia. With July fierceness, the sun beat down upon the village but man nor woman nor child stirred from the darkened houses what they awaited at the hands of the long knives they knew not captivity torture death perhaps through the deserted streets stalked a squad of backwoodsmen headed by john duff and two american traders found in the town who were bestirring themselves in our behalf knocking now at this door and anon at that the colonel bids you come to the fort he said and was gone the church bell rang with slow ominous strokes far different from its gentle vesper peal of yesterday two companies were drawn up in the sun before the old jesuit house and presently through the gate a procession came grave and mournful the tone of it was sombre in the white glare for men had donned their best as they thought for the last time cloth of camlet and cadiz and limbourg white cotton stockings and brass buckled shoes they came like captives led to execution but at their head a figure held our eye a figure that spoke of dignity and courage of trials borne for others it was the village priest in his robes he had a receding forehead and a strong pointed chin but benevolence was in the curve of his great nose i have many times since seen his type of face in the french prince he and his flock halted before our young colonel even as the citizens of calais in a bygone century must have stood before the english king the scene comes back to me on the one side not the warriors of a nation that had made its mark in war but peaceful peasants who had sought this place for its remoteness from persecution to live and die in harmony with all mankind on the other the sinewy advance guard of a race that knows no peace whose goddess of liberty carries in her hand a sword the plough might have been graven on our arms but always the rifle the silence of the trackless wilds reigned while clark gazed at them sternly and when he spoke it was with the voice of a conqueror and they listened as the conquered listened with heads bowed all save the priest clark told them first that they had been given a false and a wicked notion of the american cause and he spoke of the tyranny of the english king which had become past endurance to a free people as for ourselves the long knives we came in truth to conquer and because of their hasty judgment the kaskaskians were at our mercy the british had told them that the kentuckians were a barbarous people and they had believed he paused that john duff might translate and the gist of what he had said sink in but suddenly the priest had stepped out from the ranks faced his people and was himself translating in a strong voice when he had finished a tremor shook the group but he turned calmly and faced clark once more 
"'Citizens of Kaskaskia,' Colonel Clark went on, "'the king whom you renounced when the English conquered you, "'the great king of France, has judged for you and the French people. "'Knowing that the American cause is just, "'he is sending his fleets and regiments to fight for it against the British king, "'who until now has been your sovereign.' "'Again he paused.' and when the priest had told them this a murmur of astonishment came from the boldest citizens of kaskaskia know you that the long knives come not to massacre as you foolishly believed but to release from bondage we have come not against you who have been deceived but against those soldiers of the british king who have bribed the savages to slaughter our wives and children you have but to take the oath of allegiance to the Continental Congress to become free, even as we are, to enjoy the blessings of that American government under which we live and for which we fight. The face of the good priest kindled as he glanced at Clark. He turned once more, and though we could not understand his words, the thrill of his eloquence moved us and when he had finished there was a moment's hush of inarticulate joy among his flock and then such transports as moved strangely the sternest men in our ranks the simple people fell to embracing each other and praising god the tears running on their cheeks out of the group came an old man a skull-cap rested on his silvered hair and he felt the ground uncertainly with his gold-headed stick monsieur he said tremulously you will pardon an old man if he show feeling i'm born seventy years ago in gascon i inhabit this country thirty years and last night i think i not live any longer last night we make our peace with the good god and come here to-day to die but we know you not he cried with a sudden and surprising vigor ah we know you not they told us lies and we were humble and believed but now we are americans he cried his voice pitched high as he pointed with a trembling arm to the stars and stripes above him my fault viva la bostonnais Vive l'Americans! Vive Monsieur le Colonel Clark, Seigneur de Kaskaskia! The listening village heard the shout and wondered, and when it had died down, Colonel Clark took the old Gascon by the hand, and not a man of his but saw that this was a master stroke of his genius. My friends, he said simply, I thank you. I would not force you and you will have some days to think over the oath of allegiance to the republic go now to your homes and tell those who are awaiting you what i have said and if any man of french birth wish to leave this place he may go of his own free will save only three whom i suspect are not our friends they turned and in an ecstasy of joy quite pitiful to see went trooping out of the gate but scarce could they have reached the street and we have broken ranks when we saw them coming back again 
the priest leading them as before. They drew near to the spot where Clark stood, talking to the captains, and halted expectantly. "'What is it, my friends?' asked the colonel. The priest came forward and bowed gravely. "'I am Pierre Gibbon, sir,' he said. "'Curé of Paskaskia,' he paused, surveying our commander with a clear eye. "'There is something that still troubles the good citizens.' "'And what is that, sir?' said Clark. The priest hesitated. "'If your excellency will only allow the church to be opened,' he ventured. The group stood wistful, fearful that their boldness had displeased, expectant of reprimand. "'My good father,' said Colonel Clark, "'an American commander has but one relation to any church, and that is,' he added with force, to protect it for all religions are equal before the republic the priest gazed at him intently by that answer said he your excellency has made for your government loyal citizens in kaskaskia then the colonel stepped up to the priest and took him likewise by the hand i have arranged for a house in town said he Monsieur Rochefleur has refused to dine with me there. Will you do me that honor, Father? With all my heart, Your Excellency, said Father Gibbont, and, turning to the people, he translated what the Colonel had said. Then their cup of happiness was indeed full, and some ran to Clark and would have thrown their arms about him had he been a man to embrace. Hurrying out of the gate, they spread the news like wildfire, and presently the church bell clanged in tones of unmistakable joy. "'Sure, Davy, dear, it puts me in mind of the saint's day at home,' said Terence, as he stood leaning against a picket fence that bordered the street. "'Save in the presence of the negros and ten red devils with blankets and scowls as would turn the milk sour in the pail.' He had stopped beside two Kaskaskia warriors in scarlet blankets who stood at the corner, watching with silent contempt the antics of the French inhabitants. Now and again one or the other gave a grunt and wrapped his blanket more tightly about him. Hurrah, said Terence. Faith, I talk that language meself when I have trouble. The warrior stared at him with what might be called a stoical surprise. Rah! Does the Holy Father pray to you with them words, ye heathens? Begora, tis a wonder you wouldn't have washed yourselves, he added, making a face. With muddy water to be had for the asking. We moved on through such a scene as I have seldom beheld. The village had donned its best. Women in cap and gown were hurrying hither and thither, some laughing and some weeping. Grown men embraced each other. Children of all colors flung themselves against Terence's legs. Dark-haired creoles, little negroes with woolly pats, and naked Indian lads with bow and arrow. Terence dashed at them now and then, and they fled screaming into dooryards to come out again and mimic him when he had passed. 
while mothers and fathers and grandfathers smiled at the good nature of his Irish face. Presently he looked down at me comically. Why wouldn't you be doing the like, Davy? he asked. Musha, tis meself that wants to run and hop and skip with the children. You put me in mind of a wizened old man that sat all day making shoes in Killarney, all saving the fringe he had on his chin. A soldier must be dignified, I answered. The saints bar that word from heaven, said Terence, trying to pronounce it. Come, we'll go to mass, or me mother will be visiting me this night. We crossed the square and went into the darkened church where the candles were burning. It was the first church I had ever entered, and I heard with all the voice of the priests and the fervent responses, but I understood not a word of what was said. Afterwards, Father Gabant mounted to the pulpit and stood for a moment with his hand raised above his flock, and then began to speak. What he told them I have learned since and this I know, that when they came out again into the sunlit square they were Americans. It matters not when they took the oath. As we walked back towards the fort we came to a little house with a flower garden in front of it, and there stood Colonel Clark himself by the gate. He stopped us with a motion of his hand. Davy, said he, we're to live here for a while, you and I. What do you think of our headquarters? He did not wait for me to reply, but continued, Can you suggest any improvements? You'll be needing a soldier to be on guard in front, sir, said I. Ah, said the colonel, McChesney is too valuable a man. I'm sending him with Captain Bowman to take Cahokia. Would you have Terence, sir? I ventured, while Terence grinned whereupon colonel clark sent him to report to his captain that he was detailed for orderly duty to the commanding officer and within half an hour he was standing guard in the flower garden making grimaces at the children in the street colonel clark sat at a table in the little front room and while two of monsieur rocheblave's negroes cooked his dinner he was busy with a score of visitors, organizing, advising, planning, and commanding. There were disputes to settle now that alarm had subsided, and at noon three excitable gentlemen came in to inform against a certain Monsieur Serret, merchant and trader, then absent at St. Louis. When at length the colonel had succeeded in bringing their denunciations to an end, and they had departed he looked at me comically as i stood in the doorway davy said he all i ask of the good lord is that he will frighten me incontinently for a month before i die i think he will find that difficult sir i answered then there's no hope for me he answered laughing for i have observed that fright alone brings a man into a fit spiritual state to enter heaven what would you say to those slanderers of monsieur Serret? not expecting an answer he dipped his quill into the ink-pot and turned to his papers i should say that they owed monsieur Carre money i replied the colonel dropped his quill and stared as for me i was puzzled to know why 
Egad, said Colonel Clark, most of us get by hard knocks what you seem to have been born with. He fell to musing, a worried look coming on his face that was no stranger to me later, and his hand fell heavily on the loose pile of papers before him. Davy, says he, I need a commissary general. What would that be, sir? I asked. A John Law who will make something out of nothing, who will make money out of this blank paper, who will wheedle the Creole traders into believing they're doing us a favor and making their everlasting fortune by advancing us flour and bacon. And doesn't Congress make money, sir? I asked. That they do, Davy, by the ton, he replied and so must we as the rulers of a great province for mark me though the men are happy to-day in four days they will be grumbling and trying to desert in dozens we were interrupted by a knock at the door and there stood terence mccann his reverence he announced and bowed low as the priest came into the room I was bid by Colonel Clark to sit down and dine with them on the good things which Monsieur Rosebrave's cook had prepared. After dinner they went into the little orchard behind the house and sat drinking, in the French fashion, the commandant's precious coffee which had been sent to him from far away New Orleans. Colonel Clark plied the priest with questions of the French towns under English rule and father gabon speaking for his simple people said that the english had led them easily to believe that the kentuckians were cutthroats ah monsieur he said if they but knew you if they but knew the principles of that government for which you fight they would renounce the english allegiance and the whole of this territory would be yours i know them from quebec to detroit to michlamackinac and st vincent's listen monsieur he cried his homely face alight i myself will go to st vincent's for you i will tell them the truth and you shall have the post for the asking you will go to vincent's exclaimed clark a hard and dangerous journey of a hundred leagues monsieur answered the priest simply the journey is nothing for a century the missionaries of the church have walked this wilderness alone with god often they have suffered and often died in tortures but gladly colonel clark regarded the man intently the cause of liberty both religious and civil is our cause father gabant continued men have died for it and will die for it and it will prosper furthermore monsieur my life has not known many wants i have saved something to keep my old age with which to buy a little house and an orchard in this peaceful place the sum i have is at your service the good congress will repay me and you need the money colonel clark was not an impulsive man but he felt none the less deeply as i know well his reply to this generous offer was almost brusque but he did not deceive the priest nay monsieur he said it is for mankind i give it in remembrance of him who gave everything and though i receive nothing in return i shall have my reward 
an hundredfold. In due time, I know not how, the talk swung round again to lightness, for the Colonel loved a good story, and the priest had many which he told with wit in his quaint French accent. As he was rising to take his leave, Pierre Gibbon put his hand on my head. I saw your excellency's son in the church this morning, he said. Colonel Clark laughed and gave me a pinch. My dear sir, he said, the boy is old enough to be my father. The priest looked down at me with a puzzled expression in his brown eyes. I would I had him for my son, said Colonel Clark kindly. But the lad is eleven, and I shall not be twenty-six until next November. Your Excellency not twenty-six, cried Father Gibbon, in astonishment. What will you be when you are thirty? The young Colonel's face clouded. God knows, he said. Father Gibbon dropped his eyes and turned to me with native tact. What would you like best to do, my son? he asked. I should like to learn to speak French, said I, for I had been much irritated at not understanding what was said in the streets. And so you shall, said Father Gabant. I myself will teach you. You must come to my house today. And Davy will teach me, said the Colonel. End of chapter 14